0: Welcome to Crosscut Talks. I'm Paris Jackson, the host of Crosscut Now on KCTS 9 and the host for this podcast. Today, we're talking about CRISPR, the gene editing technology that allows scientists to make precise changes to DNA. In this talk, we dive into the vast ways CRISPR is benefiting humanity as well as the ethical implications it poses. It's a conversation from May between Nobel Laureate and University of California Berkeley chemistry professor Jennifer Doudna and New York Times columnist and science writer Carl Zimmer at the Crosscut Ideas Festival in Seattle. Doudna explains what CRISPR is, a technology birthed from fundamental science, specifically how bacteria fight viral infection. It's now being used by scientists to make changes to cells and organisms. Scientists are using CRISPR to treat a wide range of diseases from HIV to sickle cell and even for assisting plant development in crops. With such scientific advancement, capabilities and power, it of course comes with ethical questions. I hope you enjoy this engaging discussion. Please share your feedback on the podcast with us by sending it to talks at crosscut.com. Now let's get into it.
1: Hello and welcome to CrossCut Festival. Uh, My name is Carl Zimmer. I'm a columnist at the New York Times and also the author of 14 books about science. Today's talk is about the gene editing technology CRISPR. It's got the potential to let scientists make precise changes to DNA uh, and is being used to treat a wide range of diseases. Uh, It's already being used to develop new treatments for Uh, HIV, sickle cell diseases, and other disorders. Uh, It's also being used to create new crops that are resistant to pests and diseases. So we're going to explore today the potential of CRISPR to help humanity, but also the ethical challenges that it poses to us. Uh, And today we are joined by one of the people who actually won the Nobel Prize for CRISPR, uh, Jennifer Doudna, a professor at University of California, Berkeley and uh, she brings uh, a huge wealth of knowledge about this subject uh, and we're going to go into all these different uh, directions in the next half hour or so. So, uh, Dr. Doudna, uh, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Hi, Carl. Great to be here. So, um, you know, CRISPR has been around for, you know, it's been over a decade since You did some of your first experiments on it, Um, but, you know, there probably are some people who are maybe have heard the phrase CRISPR, but are like, what is that exactly? So maybe we could do like a real quick uh, just uh, uh, tutorial for people about what exactly it is that we're talking about. What is CRISPR?
2: Well, it might sound like where you store your vegetables in the refrigerator, but uh, it's actually a technology, and it came out of fundamental science around the way that bacteria fight viral infection. So it's kind of a classic example of curiosity-driven science going in an unexpected direction. So it's now being used by scientists, as you said in the introduction, to make precise changes in the DNA of cells and organisms. And really what this means is that we now have the ability to tweak or even completely rewrite the code of life um, in cells in a way that gives us precision control over the genes that affect how we uh, you know how we live our lives uh, how we interact in the environment our health and uh, as you mentioned the the way that crops and plants are developing so it's really powerful tool
1: so these are these are molecules that bacteria were making on their own and you and your colleagues have been figuring out how to tailor them to actually change DNA in the way that you want.
2: Right, and you can think about it almost like a, a scissors, you know, it's a it's sort of like a, a way to cut DNA that triggers DNA repair in cells and that repair is a way that you can actually edit the genome and make targeted changes. And what's great about CRISPR, and here's the thing to remember about it, if you remember one thing, is that it's programmable. So it can be targeted to particular places, and the scientist can control where it goes. So that makes it a really useful tool.
1: So if people have heard about, you know, recombinant DNA, these kinds of tools, like in the 1970s. like. the fact that you know bacteria can can make human insulin, for example, that uh, people can use for to treat diabetes, that's a that's an earlier kind of technology. And we're talking about something that's more precise.
2: Exactly, that's that's right. Yeah.
1: So you were, so I mean, when you were working on these early experiments, I mean, essentially, you were, um, you know, you 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 were like working in in test tubes with these really you know simple systems to see if you could just zero in and make these molecules work in, in the way you wanted. Uh, and now, you know, here we are talking about medicine and applications to food. And, you know, there are people who are frightened about CRISPR babies, which we'll get to later. But, uh, did you have a sense when you were like there with the test tube with your colleagues that like, this is something that you would be talking about that we would, this would be a reality.
2: Well, maybe not those details, but I, we certainly had a sense that this was a powerful uh, pathway in microbes—a way that microbes acquire immunity to the viruses that are infecting them in real time, which is you know kind of extraordinary. And so, you know, this is a that that was really what sparked our interest in working on it in the beginning, because clearly bacteria had found a way to capture the genetic information from viruses quickly and then use that for uh cellular protection. And so that was the, you know, the impetus for doing this work. But you know, where where it went after uh, you know, and all the kind of directions that it's gone in over the last decade, wow. I mean, it's uh it's amazing to see.
1: Yeah, I mean I guess, you know, once once people figured out how to get CRISPR into human cells, I mean, then things really start to uh take off in terms of the possibilities for, for medicine if you're looking at something, a situation where you've got a, you know, some kind of, of condition, medical condition that has something to do with with how your genes are spelled out, essentially. Um and I guess I guess now we're I mean we're kind of at this amazing point where, you know, the FDA is is pretty quickly potentially going to be approving some CRISPR based medicines. Um I, maybe we could like talk a little bit about, um, say, for example, um, the, how to use, how, how you use sickle cell anemia, uh, I'm sorry, how you use CRISPR to, to treat a condition like sickle cell anemia. Well, kind of walk us through, you know, let's talk about the disease and how CRISPR can actually help.
2: Well, we could start with what, what is sickle cell anemia? So it's a very well-characterized genetic disease that uh, occurs in people that inherit two copies of a gene that contains the sickle cell mutation. And so that turns out to be a single letter change in the DNA code in a gene that is encodes a protein essential for carrying oxygen in red blood cells. So when somebody inherits two copies of that sickle gene, then they are subject to this disease, and it's you know it's a, a disease that has terrible uh, consequences for their their lives and their and their health. Up until now, it could be diagnosed, it could be you know treated, sort of you know mitigated some of the the, the conditions often with things like blood transfusions, so requiring hospitalization. But we really didn't have a way to address the cause of the disease, and that's really where CRISPR comes in because. The technology allows scientists to actually either directly correct that disease causing mutation or uh, to turn on the production of another protein that can suppress the effects of the sickle cell mutation. And that's actually how this first therapy is working. It turns on production of a sickle, um, uh, sorry, a um, a fetal form of the protein hemoglobin that can suppress that sickle cell mutation. So it's a You know, it's an extraordinary uh, path forward that basically offers a cure for patients.
1: So you so you have a so the adult version of of hemoglobin that we make that is in our red blood cells. That's got a mutation that causes this faulty thing to happen. But we also have this sort of this gene for a second kind of hemoglobin that we make as fetuses. And that shuts off after we're born. And so the secret yeah. here is to to change that switch with CRISPR. So now people can make that fetal hemoglobin, and that's going to work. That's going to work well enough for them.
2: Yeah, it seems like it's a one and done kind of therapy, working just the way you describe. So you turn back on that fetal gene, and now people are basically symptom free.
1: Um, I mean, you know, we <laughs> we're we're describing something, you know, just in in. in uh, very briefly and concisely, but obviously that that journey was not brief and concise. Um, I mean, uh, I mean, what 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 is what what were some of like the those key steps to like to actually get something that you could confidently inject into someone uh, and and feel confident that it was going to be something that was going to be you know safe and and was going to do what you wanted it to do.
2: Well, you're right. It, it not not a not a straightforward path at all. And certainly requiring many, many people um, and their their ingenuity and, and their hard work. So uh, there was not only the CRISPR technology itself, of course, but also all of the research that went into understanding the biology of sickle cell disease and the way that it would be possible to activate the, the production of fetal hemoglobin so that you could suppress the effects of the disease. Then uh, you know, figuring out how to use CRISPR to do exactly that and do it precisely and and safely. And then, as you said, figuring out how to actually do it in a, a patient. And it's probably worth mentioning that right now, the way that works in patients is that the CRISPR technology is, is put into cells that are first removed from the patient. So the genome editing is actually done outside the body, it's done in a lab. And those, those genome edited cells can then be reintroduced into the patient. So oh. it's you know it works well, but it it's expensive and it takes time.
1: Right, right. So, so these are these are these are cells that you can take out of someone's body. You can the these are the kinds of cells that will give rise to red blood cells. So you take right. them out of someone's body, you do the CRISPR in a lab where you can control the the, uh, the conditions and you can screen them, and then you can put them back into someone where they're going to start to supply this population of red blood cells that can really do the job. That's, is that the idea?
2: That's the idea. Right. And, and so it's, it's like you described, it also involves essentially doing a bone marrow transplant because you have to kind of create a little space in the bone marrow for these new edited cells to take over, you know, take residence. And of course that, you know, is a is a difficult procedure and and requires weeks of hospitalization. So, it's uh you know it's non trivial to to do it. On the other hand, it looks like it's truly a one and done procedure. So it's it's quite quite extraordinary in that regard. And you know, so we I hope I hope we'll talk about this a little bit. But I think one of the issues right now is you know this works really well, but how do we make sure that people who can benefit from it get access and yeah. can afford it? Right? So yeah.
1: sure. I mean, we already. I mean we kind of have a, a a glimpse of what we might be dealing with, with CRISPR medicine, with these, these other kinds of therapies, gene therapy, where you use other techniques to just, you know, insert a a whole gene into somebody's cells to, um, to do something that uh, their genes can't do. And there are some impressive results for like hemophilia and so on with that. But um, I believe it's, I mean, it's, you know it is literally one shot The those things need but they're like three million dollars for the treatment um yeah you know the companies say well you know it's cost effective over the long run because hemophilia is such an expensive disease to treat but um i imagine that we'll be wrestling with these issues with crispr too i mean how do you i mean what do you what do you think i mean you know you're you're a biologist not a health economist, but I mean, do you, have you had thoughts about what might be the best way forward for this?
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, that was actually a motivation for starting the Innovative Genomics Institute a few years back, which is a nonprofit based in at the University of California in the Bay Area, was, the, was to think about exactly that question. How do we take what's a, clearly a very exciting, very powerful technology that has tr- extraordinary opportunity, and uh, bring it to a point where it is widely affordable and available. And, and you know that's a that's a tall order. How do we do that? It's non-trivial to do it. Certainly, will involve companies. I think what a what a nonprofit can contribute to that is really thinking about what the breakthroughs are in uh, accessory technologies that will enable more widespread distribution. And so, for example, one of the things that we're working hard on right now is how do we get around having to do a bone marrow transplant? Wouldn't it mm-hmm. be amazing if you could provide a patient with a one-time treatment that was delivered by say an injection or even potentially orally where, um, you know, they get they get the uh, the editor. It goes to the cells in the body that need editing. and uh, and then they're 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 cured. So it sounds again, you know, today that sounds kind of fantastical. But I think it's I think we can bring that uh, into into reality with the right focus on the delivery technology that will be needed.
1: We'll be back with more after this at Amazon, there's a way up for anyone because there's something for everyone. Like Jessica, who completed free technical training programs and is getting her bachelor's with Amazon's prepaid tuition.
0: Even if you have no knowledge or no experience in IT, Amazon has the tools and the resources to teach you. I've been promoted three times, and it's been a significant boost in pay for me. Free technical training programs at
1: Amazon move full-time and part-time employees into higher-paying jobs. Visit aboutamazon.com for more info. So, so th- the idea is that you these molecules you call the editor, you'd put it in some sort of package, and that package, when it's injected or swallowed, it would be able to make its way through the body, you know, to to these sites where the cells that they need to edit are. They, they would actually, I mean, it it does sound a little like science fiction. I have to say, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, but you know, it's it's uh, worth uh, uh, it's worth recognizing that cells in the body have molecules on their surface that marks them as particular kinds of cells and so it's not maybe out of the realm of possibility in fact we know that viruses are very good at doing this that they can actually figure out what those little uh, um, molecules are on the surface of blood cells and blood stem cells which are the cells that would need to be edited for for sickle cell disease and hone into those and leave all the other cells alone
1: mm-hmm. Are there so so? I mean, uh, it's so it's possible we may see FDA approval of a treatment for sickle cell anemia or some blood disorder this year. Do you? I mean, are there other uh, diseases that you think are um, particularly good, sort of low-hanging fruit for CRISPR? Do you, things that you know we might be looking for uh, in the next few years.
2: Well, Carl, I think certainly other blood diseases are, are on the docket there and, uh, and also, um, uh, diseases of tissues that are relatively, you know, easier to deliver to. And and the two that come to mind right away are the liver and the eye. Uh, and in fact, you know, there already are, are clinical trials that are looking very promising for genetic diseases in both of those. Organs that involve CRISPR, so I think that's a that's a really exciting uh, path forward. In the longer term, I think uh, you know I, I'm a couple of things I'm I'm really interested in, and you know it's it's going to take time, but I think we we have some really exciting opportunities in areas that include neurodegeneration. So thinking about how we could, um, and and frankly not just treat uh, patients that are already suffering from neurodegeneration, but potentially. Make corrective changes to their DNA before they are symptomatic. You know, as we get better and better at predicting and understanding what the genetics are of diseases like Alzheimer's, let's say, Mm -hmm. um, being able to use CRISPR to provide protection against. A, disease, you know, a terrible uh, degenerative disease like that would be extraordinary, and would be, you know, really a different way of thinking about uh, treating a disease like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, another possibility that I think is very interesting and was certainly uh, uh, contemplated extensively during the pandemic is: could we program the immune system to be, you know, prepared in 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 ways that might uh, give us pandemic protection in the future? So these are, you know, the I, I would put these in the category of definitely kind of futuristic. Opportunities, but things that uh, academics really should be working on because they are the kind of hard but but important challenge that you know nonprofits can tackle.
1: Are there, um, uh, you know, are there particular uh, risks of you know, using CRISPR in medicine that that y- that CRISPR scientists are going to have to be? Careful about. I mean, are there things about using CRISPR that uh, might have particular, you know, side effects that are, you're going to have to be looking out for?
2: Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, it's a you know, it's a serious thing to change DNA. It sounds pretty permanent, right? And so, you'd want to be sure that the you know the right genes are getting getting uh, uh, altered and, and nothing else. So certainly the accuracy of the of the system is important. As well as, um, frankly, just understanding enough about human genetics that we can be confident that when we make a particular change in the genome, that we're having a desired impact and not, you know, something unintended or un- unexpected. So mm-hmm. that that really means that, you know, hand in hand with thinking about applications of CRISPR, we just need to continue to use it as a research tool, as as many laboratories are, globally are now doing, to understand our genetics better.
1: So I. I want to just shift gears a bit, uh, because you have been working on some, uh, new applications of CRISPR, which are really intriguing. Um, they have to do with the microbiome and the microbiome is something again, that people may be hearing a lot about, you know, that sort of collection of microbes that call our bodies home. Um, so I mean, tell us a little bit about what this project is, where you want to use CRISPR to, uh, to use it on the microbiome.
2: Well, this is a project that really stems from work that has been done for a long time by uh, uh, laboratories, including that of my colleague Jill Banfield here at UC Berkeley and at at the Innovative Genomics Institute. So, you know, the Banfield lab has been really a global leader in investigating what those microbes actually are, not, not only in our bodies, but also in our environment. And... They do this by reading the d- genetic code of all of those organisms kind of, in a, you know, together and then assembling the pieces and figuring out which organisms are present and also which viruses are present in their midst, as well as, you know, what those um, organism genes are, are doing. And uh, because of that, we realized that, um, you know, we actually had an interesting opportunity with CRISPR to take a technology that you know, actually came from these microbes and turn it around and apply it in those microbes but in a way that is very new in the sense that, you know, traditionally microbes have been studied one organism at a time in labs, but that's not representative of how they actually behave in our bodies or in the environment where they're growing together with many different species. And, you know, that certainly affects their behavior and their biology as well as their, you know, interactions with us. So we're excited about being able to use CRISPR now to modify these microbiomes where we can make targeted changes to individual genes and, you know, particular species, but in the context of a natural microbiome. So that's really what we're looking to do, both for human health applications, as well as uh, thinking about challenges of climate change.
1: So, So, uh, let me, I want to get back to that little climate change teaser there, but so just, but just to be clear, so you might say have a mouse with a thousand species of microbes in its gut and you would give it a a sort of a, a treatment where the, you know, the editor would not just go to bacteria, but would go to say one particular species of bacteria, change one gene in that bacteria, And then you would sort of sit back and see okay how does that change like how the microbiome helps the mouse's immune system develop or digest food or something like that
2: exactly so you know let's compare that to to uh you know you take an antibiotic it typically affects the whole microbiome right or many many of those organisms so it can you know alter things a, a lot more broadly than one might like and uh, and then for people that have um, certain kinds of infections and, and especially intestinal disorders, uh, they can use a fecal transplant, but um, which can work very well from a therapeutic perspective, but certainly not scalable. Scalable, and uh, you know, not not very appealing. So we're pretty excited about the opportunity to make targeted changes using CRISPR, where you could really kind of fine tune microbiome. and there's already some really intriguing evidence that microbiomes are producing molecules and you know they're being produced by a particular species in a microbiome that you might be able to turn off, for example, and uh, and and have a real impact on human health.
1: So I get the human health. Now where does climate change come into this?
2: Yeah, great question. So, uh, well, you know, I was, when we started this project, I was astounded to discover that um, uh, methane, which is a very potent uh, greenhouse gas, more, much more potent than, than carbon dioxide, is uh, produced by livestock. And in fact, it's one of the, the big, livestock are one of the big contributors to global methane emissions every year. And they've uh, you know this this there's really strong evidence that methane is, you know one of the major uh, contributors to global climate change since pre-industrial times. So, what do we do about that? Because uh, you know there's a lot of farming that goes on, and and I don't think we're going to be uh, getting rid of farm animals anytime soon. So we're contemplating a future where CRISPR could be used in the cow rumen to make, again, those same kinds of targeted changes to the microbiome that would uh, reduce or even eliminate methane emissions by fine tuning the metabolism of that, or- that, uh, that organism in that um, microbial community. And if we could do that at the birth of a calf, by, a, again, you, you know by uh, adjusting their feed or even providing a, a pill that would, would provide that kind of change, we could establish a healthy gut microbiome from from the get go and have an impact, uh, positive impact on reducing methane emissions for the animal's entire lifetime. So this is something that, you know, could be very appealing to farmers because it actually also means that you get more efficient conversion of frankly feed into food. You know,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right. I mean, speaking of food, um, how are things? How do things seem to be going in terms of using CRISPR? to develop new kinds of fruits, vegetables, other kinds of foods.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting right now. I mean, I, we're seeing, I, I feel like there's a real ramp up of the application of CRISPR for that type of use. Um, and, uh, you know, there's some, some interesting uh, hurdles there, you know, regulatory barriers that are different in, in different parts of the world. Um, But uh, I'll just give a couple of examples, Uh, you know, in in Japan recently a tomato was uh, approved, a CRISPR tomato that produces more of a compound that's thought to be uh, protective uh, of human health and, you know, and because CRISPR has the precision that it does, those that kind of genetic change can be made without messing with any other genes which means you still have a tomato that has the same size shape flavor you know all the other properties that breeders have been uh you know interested in in uh, preserving over time but you have this one little genetic tweak that now allows this tomato to make a um, you know, a compound that uh, is linked to, to human health. So uh, I think that's an interesting one. And then, um, you know, there also are, uh, are examples in um, crops uh, that are used commercially, for example, uh, making adjustments in rice and, and wheat that lead to more productive plants under drought conditions. And again, you know, the tweaks are very small, right? So Mm -hmm. crop yields are preserved, all of the flavor and, you know, uh, nutritional properties are preserved, but you have a plant that can uh, grow well under uh, low water conditions.
1: So just to be, before we finish up, I mean, we're talking about, you know, these really, um, you know, tremendous potential changes. in food we eat the way we carry out medicine there's you know been you know uh, anxieties um which you know you've expressed yourself about the possible abuse of this for say you know tinkering with with human embryos um do you is the do you think that the kind of the world's governments um have really kind of grappled yet with the, the, the potentials of CRISPR and the and the need to to be regulating them in a way to sort of take advantage of these benefits without running afoul of potential risks. I mean where how how do you see the kind of the world's governments uh, where their thinking is now in twenty twenty three?
2: Well, I I would say, you know, the good news is that um, I I would say many governments are well aware of the of the CRISPR technology. And how do I know that? Well, because, you know, we're we're fielding questions frequently from government groups from around the world about CRISPR, you know, technology, how just fundamental questions about how it works, but also specific applications of the technology. So clearly, regulatory agencies are paying attention. And um you know there's also a, a really a, been an important global effort among scientists to um, figure out how to get ahead of the, you know the, this, this discussion and encourage a community of transparency around the applications of CRISPR because as you mentioned, there definitely are ethical challenges when we think about uses in humans, in, in plants, in the environment, you know, and really making sure that we're staying on top of that because the technology is moving very quickly.
1: Well, we are out of time. We could have talked much more about all this, but I think we really uh, got a taste for CRISPR. So uh, thanks so much, uh, Dr. Downa for uh, talking with us today.
2: My pleasure. Great to be here, Carl.
0: That's it for today's episode thanks to jennifer and carl for the talk this episode of crosscut talks was produced by seth halloran and engineered by resty Bacall and victoria ralph and the event was produced by jake newman and ann o'dowd madeline Happold managed our audience engagement and you can subscribe to crosscut talks wherever you listen and if you like the show please review us we want to know what you think for the latest political environmental and cultural news from the pacific northwest visit CrossCut.com. And if you would like to support the work we do at CrossCut, whether it's live events we host or the in-depth reporting we do every day, go to CrossCut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to on-demand programming on Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. CrossCut Talks is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Paris Jackson, we'll be back soon with another conversation.